Welcome to this presentation of First Baptist Church Loeb. We're glad to have you joining us today. Our mission at FBC Loeb is to bring glory to God by being disciple makers. For that purpose, we present the following resource that it may be a blessing. All right, grab a Bible and turn to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, and in case you use one of our pew Bibles, you'll find that on page 894. This is the second week of our Advent series this year, where we are looking at some of what God offers us through Christmas. Last week in Matthew chapter 1, we saw that uh, some... uh, God offers us himself, and that through Jesus' birth, God comes to be with us in person. And as we continue this morning, it's worth recognizing that our society often tries to use Christmas as a distraction from all of the problems that we face in our lives. Uh, Many people decorate and listen to music and watch Hallmark movies and shop for presents to escape. Uh, to get a break just for a few moments from the difficulties of real life. And that's understandable, in a sense, if you think about it, because the real world is a hard place to be. Uh, We live in a crazy world. You can't turn on the television or read a news article without seeing the overwhelming evidence of that. Uh, it's, uh, it's, It's terrible. It seems like every other week now there's some type of mass shooting or attack And we've got political instability and wars going on around the world. And and even here in our own community, apparently you can't buy pizza anymore or drive down Highway 69 without uh, the possibility of encountering violence. Of course, we could go on and on, but I don't think I need to convince you uh, that the world we live in is messed up. I think that's one thing we all agree on. And one of the unfortunate aspects of this is that all of this stuff has become so normal that a lot of times it doesn't even shock us anymore. We, we see it, or we hear about it, and we just shake our heads and, and move on because we don't have the emotional capacity to care about all of it. We would have a mental breakdown if we tried to. And so people are, are anxious, they're fearful, they're angry, depressed. It's, it's, it's crazy, and it seems to be getting even crazier. Of course, another word... The biblical word to describe all of this is darkness. We live in a dark world, a world that has rejected the rule of its creator and that has plunged itself headfirst into chaos and destruction as a result. And so, yes, for many people, the idea of Christmas is a a welcome distraction from the darkness. Just for a little while, everyone is, is expected to be nice and to be generous, and we can all be happy for just a little while, and maybe the world can be a better place. Well, this morning, our text is going to be unusually short. It's only going to be one verse, but in it, we are going to see that through Christmas, God offers us much more than a distraction. He offers us light in the darkness, and so we're in John chapter 8, and we are going to read together verse 12. It says, again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, 
but will have the light of life. And so one of the challenges of, of only preaching one verse uh, with outside of, of a consecutive series is that you have to get your bearings on the context. And so back in chapter 7 of, of John, Jesus has gone to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths, which commemorated how the Lord led the Israelites through the wilderness during the Exodus journey. And so over the course of the week, the people would feast during the day, and then at night they would go outside and sleep in tabernacles or in booths like they had uh, during the process of the Exodus. And also, as part of the celebrations, there was a water-pouring ceremony during uh, the morning, and there was a candlelight ceremony in the evening. Now, the water-pouring ceremony commemorated how the Lord had provided water for the people in the wilderness from the rock in Exodus chapter 17, and it also anticipated the living water the prophet Zechariah promised that the Messiah would bring one day. And it was apparently during this ceremony that Jesus called out to the people in chapter 7, verses 37 and 38, and said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then in the evening, the candle lighting ceremony commemorated how God had led the people with the pillar of fire by night and given them direction in the darkness. And so there were four giant lamps or, or torches that were lit at the very top, the highest point of the temple. And it's said that the, these lights were so big and so bright that the entire city of Jerusalem was illuminated by them. And it seems to be during this ceremony with these lamps burning in the background that Jesus speaks to the people again here in verse 12 and says, I am the light of the world. In other words, he's declaring that what these lamps and what that water represent is ultimately fulfilled in him. Now, it's often pointed out that Jesus' words, I am, are, are theologically loaded and that they are connected to God's self-revelation to Moses back in Exodus chapter 3. This is one of seven statements that Jesus makes in the book of John that, that uh, amounts to a claim of divinity. Right? Jesus is saying that he is God. But, but that goes beyond the scope of what we're focusing on this morning. Our interest is, is in the meaning and the significance of Jesus' claim to be the light of the world. Of course, to fully appreciate what Jesus is saying here, we have to understand the Bible's use of the metaphors of light and darkness. Light and darkness are used throughout the Bible. They have both physical and spiritual meaning. Spiritually speaking, light represents goodness, purity, knowledge, truth, hope, and ultimately life and salvation. And just as darkness is the opposite of light, physically speaking, so the same thing is true with its spiritual meaning. So darkness represents evil, impurity, ignorance, deception, hopelessness, and ultimately death and judgment. And so these realities should begin to shape our understanding of what Jesus means when he says that he is the light of the world. He is the embodiment of light's attributes of goodness and purity and truth and so on. And he is bringing those things into a world that is in desperate need of them. 
Of course, physically speaking, light primarily refers to the, the electromagnetic waves that come from the sun or some other source that allow us to see. And so when you think about physical darkness, probably the first thing that comes to mind is the fact that you can't see when you are in the midst of it. Now, we've talked before about my never-failing confidence and my ability to navigate around my house at night in the dark without turning on a light. I'm always convinced I can do it, and it never works. Inevitably, I stub my toe on a piece of furniture, or I step on one of the kids' plastic toys, uh, which is just a whole new level of pain, or I run into a door that's halfway closed, and on top of that, I usually can't find whatever it is I got up to look for to begin with. But as soon as I turn on a light, I can see where I'm going. I can avoid the hazards that may be in my way, and I can find whatever it is that I'm looking for. And this physical illustration is a perfect analogy for our spiritual experience in life and what it means for Jesus to be the light of the world. Because again, as we've talked about before, the Bible declares that each one of us exists by nature in darkness. We are born into this world with a distorted understanding of reality and without the ability to figure things out on our own. And so we all wander through life, fumbling around, trying to find our way. We keep bumping into and stepping on things that, that cause pain and suffering instead. And, and in the darkness, we look to all kinds of different things to try to satisfy ourselves and to find fulfillment. And so we may pursue money or, or popularity or, or some definition of, of success to try to find a sense of fulfillment. Some of us may abuse drugs or alcohol in order to escape the emptiness that we feel in our lives. Some of us may look to relationships with other people to, to, to give us a, a sense of meaning in life. But all of these things ultimately fail. That they don't satisfy us. They only lead us deeper into the darkness. The only way to overcome darkness is for a light to shine. And the good news that we celebrate at Christmas that's in our text this morning is that Jesus Christ was born to bring light into the world. And now he calls out and says to us, I am the light of the world. Now, in, in the, the historical setting, the people of Israel in Jesus' day recognized that they existed in darkness as well. Their oppression by the Roman Empire made that clear. And there was pr plenty of corruption and violence in their own day as well. But they were also hanging on to the promise of future salvation. As we read together this morning in our scripture reading, the prophet Isaiah promised, as he was given a glimpse of the future Messiah, that he would bring light. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. And so light was tied to the Jewish expectation of the Messiah, and, and this to a crowd of people who were familiar with that prophecy and who were waiting and longing for its fulfillment, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I am the light you have been waiting for. Now, another angle that we should consider about darkness is the fact that it doesn't exist on its own. Right? Darkness is simply the absence of light. 
In fact, what makes darkness so distressing to us oftentimes is the fact that all of the benefits that we get from light are not there. And if we zoom out a bit, the Bible tells us that that beyond the suffering that our sin produces here in this life, our sin also makes us objects of God's wrath and judgment because of the destruction that our sin brings on his good creation and on the, the lives of those who've been made in his image. And so we face God's eternal judgment in hell. And among other things, Jesus describes hell as a place, in, in the book of Matthew, a place of outer darkness. You know, when we think about hell, we tend to think about the temperature. But as it happens, ultimately, one of the things that makes hell hell is that it is a place where every source of light has been removed. And there's really nothing that we can compare it, we can compare it to Uh, that we understand from this life. Fortunately, instead of leaving us in the dark, God sent Jesus to bring light back into the world and to save us from our sin. He was born, and ultimately he, he lived and he died on a cross where he paid the penalty of our sin for us so that we can be forgiven of our sin and we can be reconciled to God by faith. And so the the second half of verse 12 is an invitation to anyone who will respond, who who hears Jesus' message and responds in faith. You don't have to stay in the dark. Jesus says, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so we see that by trusting in Jesus, the Lord overcomes our darkness with his light. At the very same time, we should also recognize that the second half of verse 12 isn't just a promise of a future salvation. It's a promise of light for life right now. Jesus says that those who follow him will not walk in darkness. And the reason they will not walk in darkness is because he gives them the light of life. And so just like at my house at night, Jesus turns the lights on for his people so that we can see it's not just uh, that we, when we come to Jesus, we spend uh, our, our eternity with him, but we spend the rest of our lives in the process of sanctification, becoming more like Jesus in our character and coming further and further out of the darkness and into the light. As we follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit enlightens us and enables us to understand God's word so that we can live our lives wisely by making decisions and and taking actions that lead us into blessing rather than destruction. Just like the psalmist writes, "Your your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Friends, we should understand that discipleship, that following Jesus' example and obeying his commandments will save us from thousands of painful decisions and regrets now in this life, before we even get to eternal life in in eternity. So just as Israel followed the pillar of fire through the wilderness, this life will be full of ups and downs. But if we follow Jesus, he will get us to the promised land, and life will go a lot better for us in the process. And so if we stop to, to pause for a moment and think about this statement as a whole, every part of it is full of meaning. Now, for starters, the very first word, I, is actually emphasized in this sentence. 
And so we should understand that, that we're not talking about Buddha or, or Muhammad or, or some New Age guru or anybody else. It's Jesus and Jesus alone who is the focus of this proclamation. Secondly, when Jesus says, I am, we should recognize that he is not pointing us to something. He is claiming to be something. Right? In contrast to every other religious or philosophical leader in history, Jesus isn't explaining a path to salvation. He is offering himself, presenting himself as the embodiment of salvation. And we should understand that this is the only option. Jesus says that he is the light of the world. Not, not a light, not one light among other options. This world likes to pretend as if all religions are basically the same, but Jesus will have none of that. As the apostles make clear in the book of Acts, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And then finally, we see at the end of of that first part of verse 12 that this light is for the whole world. As we've seen so many times, the salvation that Jesus has come to bring is not simply for the Jewish people, but that it will extend to to people in every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. And this was to be expected also. Because in, in addition to his earlier statement about light coming into the world, Isaiah made it clear that the the future Messiah would bring light for more than just the people of Israel. And so speaking of the future Messiah, the Lord says in Isaiah 49, verse 6, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. And so we see that from the very beginning, Jesus intended to bring salvation to the whole world, and it all begins with his birth at Christmas. And so in our passage this morning, we see that through Christmas, God offers us light. Much more than a a distraction from the darkness of our world, God has offered us a way out. The answer to everything that is wrong with this world is found in who Jesus is and what he has done. When he was born, light came into this dark world. And through his death and resurrection, Jesus has defeated darkness. And now through faith, he offers to lead us out with him. Friends, if you realize that you've been going through life in the darkness, Jesus offers you light. If you will take it, that's why we celebrate at Christmas. Jesus is the light of the world. But I don't want us to leave it there because at the very same time, he tells his disciples in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And so we we understand that Jesus is the light of the world, but he intends for the world to see his light through the light of those who follow him. He intends the world to see his light through his people. And so in our recent series through 1 Peter, we were reminded that as believers, we are a chosen race, 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. By trusting in Christ, Jesus makes his light to shine in our hearts so that we can then turn around and show the world the way to salvation. The impact the gospel has in our lives and the difference that it makes for us should attract others and lead them to trust in Jesus also. And so in a sense, the church should be a living Christmas light display for the watching world all year long. Jesus is the light of the world. And so this morning, let's follow him into the light that God offers us through Christmas. And let's shine our light so that others may come to know him also. Let's pray together. Lord, as always, we are thankful for your word. And Father, as we celebrate Christmas and we go through this Advent season and and we are surrounded by so much light, Lord, I pray that we would be reminded that it ultimately points to the light that you have given us through Jesus. Lord, I pray that, that we would recognize our our natural position in the darkness and that we would see the light that you offer us through Christ. And I pray that you would draw us to that light through faith and that then we would live our lives to shine that light for the watching world so that more people can come to have the salvation that you offer us through Jesus. And so Lord, as we take time to respond now, I pray that your spirit would stir our hearts and our minds and that Father, we would we would seek to understand, believe, and obey your word in every way. Father, we love you and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.